0: Luke chapter number four, Luke chapter number four. Now, you know, I'm just kidding. I'm just, and you can kid with him. You can pick with him. He can take that. And uh, the language barrier at times, you may not have understood what he was saying, but during those times he was saying, I love brother Kevin married. I love brother Kevin. I love brother Kevin. I got to hurry up so I can hear him preach and all that sort of thing. Church, get you another amen ready. Okay, everybody. Wasn't this brother a blessing this morning in our service? Amen. We love you, dear brother. We love you. And you said, uh, you said probably eight or nine times regarding the work there that it is, it's very hard. So we will do our best to be mindful to pray for you, not just on Wednesdays, but to pray for you at other times as well. Okay? Luke chapter number four, Luke chapter number four you find verse number 38, if you can and will, would you stand with us, please? We'll honor the word of God by standing for the reading of our text. And we thank you for being here again. Visitors, thank you for being here. If you'll remember here a couple of weeks ago, we were in this text, did not get through it. And so I'm not going to go, I'm going to go back and just start where, just start uh, with the beginning of the message and work our way through. So probably the first five, six minutes you'll hear, What you heard that Sunday, remember, we got off talking about several things. This led into talking about several things that Sunday. Then last Sunday, we just basically had a prayer meeting. It was a very special service, very special to my heart and my life. Uh, I'm interested here in uh, Christ's ministry in Capernaum as it continues, and we'll explain that in just a moment. Luke chapter number 4, verse 38, to the end of the chapter, and he arose out of the synagogue. And entered into Simon's house, and Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever. And they besought him for her, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with divers diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them, suffered them not. In other words, allowed them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place, and the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him, that he should not depart from them. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also therefore am I sent, and he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. Thank you for standing. This will be our 29th look into the life of Christ, and a lot of, lot of areas we have looked into. We won't mention that at this time. But you remember we said a couple of weeks ago that in this passage, we are in the year between A.D. 27 and A.D. 28, and the first year of Christ's ministry, the first year of his ministry, this is what's going on. And now his home base is Capernaum. When I say home base, it'd be like me. Uh, I live here in Pontotoc, and and, and oftentimes I'm privileged with an opportunity to go away and preach, but always come back here. And so where he grew up in Nazareth, and he would travel from Nazareth out and about after the rejection of Christ in Nazareth in the synagogue, he then made his way to Capernaum, and now Capernaum is his home base. As a matter of fact, most scholars believe that the home of Simon Peter, where we are in this text today, that the home of Simon, Simon opened his home uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that becomes now his home base of operation. In other words, he'll leave Simon Peter's house, or he'll leave Capernaum, and he'll go into other areas of Galilee and even beyond Galilee. And on the Sabbath, now we've had two Sundays to take note of this, but on the Sabbath... He does here on the Sabbath, Uh, he has done here what is his custom. You remember uh, in our former text when he was rejected in Nazareth from the uh, synagogue gatherers, the congregation there. You remember the Bible says as was his custom on the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, the Sabbath, uh, he gathered in the synagogue. He went to the synagogue. And so as his custom is now that he's in Capernaum, you know what he's got to do? He's got to find him home. He's got to find a home congregation, a home synagogue. Synagogue means the gathering place. And in the gathering place, the synagogue, as much as seven, eight, sometimes nine and ten times on a given Sabbath, the scriptures would be read. The minister of the synagogue would take a copy, a scroll, a roll of the scripture to some man in the congregation that would gather with him, and he would open the scroll, would read, and would expound upon it. And that's where they would get the teaching of the Word of God. If you'll remember, the passage just before this is, is uh, where we have looked prior. You remember we, we preached on Christ's deliverance in the synagogue at Capernaum. You will remember he delivered a message. Now, we don't know what he preached that day. We don't know what he taught on that day. Uh, we do know when he was rejected at Nazareth, he was in the book of Isaiah. He revealed himself as to who he was. He was rejected, basically run out of town. We don't know what he preached on this particular Sabbath, in this particular uh, synagogue now. Uh, You remember he delivered a man from an unclean spirit, and then Christ is magnified by the people of Capernaum and even beyond the reach of Capernaum. So we pick up this text, and as we pick up this text, it's still the Sabbath. He's just left the synagogue. Watch this. You're going to see where that afternoon, he he goes into Simon Peter's house. That night, according to Mark's account, Mark gives an account of this, and Matthew does too. According to Mark's account, Jesus will stand at the front door. and They're going to bring multitudes to him as he stands at the front door of Simon's house. He's going to heal everybody. It probably went on, if not all night, most of the night. And according to Mark's account, on the next morning, he'll he'll rise and he'll go to prayer. And, of course, Matthew, Mark, and Luke record where the people of Capernaum don't want him to leave. But he said, I must take the gospel. I must preach the kingdom. I've got to go to these other cities. They need to hear the word too. But I want you to notice how, how this divides afternoon, evening, and following morning. Watch this. It's real easy. Maybe you'd underline this in your Bible. Verse 38, and he arose out of the synagogue. Remember? He delivered a message, delivered a man from an unclean spirit. He rose out of the synagogue that is after the service that morning and entered into Simon's house. Look at verse number 40 and verse number 40. Now, when the sun was setting, this is in the evening, same day, same Sabbath. Now the Pharisees and religious leaders of his day is going to have a real problem with his healing and all he's doing on the Sabbath. There were a lot of man-made laws that were imposed. And if you didn't meet, the criteria of the religious hierarchy, and you were persecuted. And so, uh, you remember we've we've noted already how that uh, they said, "Now we, we pipe and you wouldn't dance to our music. You you wouldn't you wouldn't jig with us. Uh, we mourned and you you didn't play along with us. You you didn't you didn't mourn. You remember that? And if they're going to have the further we go, the more you're going to see it. It's going to be the religious world that's going to crucify." It. It'll be his very own that are crucified. It'll be a religious, legalistic system. They've married into their tradition, and their tradition means more to them than what the Word of God has to say. And it'll be people that handle the Word of God that would do that. You wouldn't think that would be so. Now, there's the afternoon after the service that dead synagogue, verse 38. It's going to Simon Peter's house. There's going to be a miracle performed there. Verse number 40 is the sun's going down that evening. The Bible says, verse number 40, now when the sun was setting, there be a multitude of people going to be healed that evening. And then verse number 42, and when it was day, that's the following morning, he's going to get up early. Right early. He's going to do like the psalmist would write. When the psalmist would write, early will I seek thee. And so that seems to be a custom of the Lord as well. Two or three things, just to remind you as to where we were and where we left off two weeks ago, two women Uh, are implied in the text, right, that must have meant much to Simon. Peter, number one, his wife, and number two, his mother-in-law. Neither one of them, we don't know their names. Uh, The Spirit of God did not inspire any of these synoptic gospel writers to pin their names. Um, As Paul would write 1 Corinthians, he would write of Simon. Uh, He does not mention his wife by name. You remember 1 Corinthians 9 verse 5, we talked about how sometime after Pentecost and beyond, sometime, somewhere. Simon's wife started traveling with him as he would go preach and he would go uh, help to edify local churches. Somewhere along the way, she began to travel. We don't know how extensively, but their names are not mentioned. We mentioned some object lessons or obvious lessons from uh, this particular passage, just looking toward it. We spoke of the devotion of Simon Peter as he desires Christ in his home. He desires fellowship with Christ in his home. He's not a Sunday morning only. You understand what I'm saying? But every day of his life, he walks with Christ. He desires fellowship with Christ and his presence in the home. Now, in verse number 38, when the Bible says he's leaving the synagogue and entering into Simon's house, he's got four men accompanying him. You remember we called them the four. It's Peter and Andrew, James and John going into Simon Peter's house with the Lord. Here's where we got to and kind of got hung up and didn't get any farther a couple of weeks ago. Verse number 38, a problem has developed. While they're in the synagogue, a problem has developed in the home of Simon Peter. Look at verse number 38. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. She's taken with a great fever. Uh, She's in a dire condition. She's in a life-threatening situation. Most write about, that write about what was familiar in the day, that fever was divided into two categories. What we would call in the English language, a minor and a major. A minor fever or a light fever or a major or a great fever. And here the Bible points out this was a great fever. This is something that is very serious. It's very sobering what they're facing now. Simon's wife's mother, I'm sure, was by the bedside and, uh, and uh, would have desired help For her mother, she lives in the home, which was not uncommon in these days. As a matter of fact, it was not uncommon for a young man to marry a young woman and then build a a room onto a very small dwelling of their father's house. And they would attach that room, and that was where they lived all the days of their lives. It was not uncommon at all. It was not uncommon to take mothers and fathers back into the home by sons and daughters And they would live, and they would do their part. All of them would share in the responsibilities of the home, and everyone would live under the same roof. So she's got a great fever. Verse number 38, the description of this fever, uh, his wife's mother, Simon's wife's mother, was taken uh, with a great fever. Now, after the service, uh, it would have been at the synagogue like it was back not that long ago. Uh, Still, on occasion... Uh, Remember going to churches and after church, somebody would say, well, you're going home with the Smiths today, or you're going home with the Russells today, or you're going home with, and and some of y'all remember those days when the preacher would show up on a Sunday. It hadn't been that long ago when Baptist churches were like most Methodist churches now in our area, unless it's a large Methodist congregation, they're either half-time churches or quarter-time churches. And a lot of Baptist churches was that way. The church that I was going to when I was saved, it had not been that many years ago. Beyond that, the point of whenever I was saved, they talked about uh, preachers would come in and preach either uh, on Sunday morning and uh, this Sunday morning, skip a Sunday morning, and uh, they'd pastor, they'd, they'd preach. Uh, preachers would, would preach to three and four and five congregations. It happens that way in a lot of the Methodist churches today. But a lot of times, if there was time, if the preacher didn't have to get hastily over to another service if he wasn't time-constrained. Uh, they would take him home, and somebody get an amen ready right here. They'd feed him fried chicken and mashed potatoes and green beans and banana pudding and banana pudding, thank God, and, and sweet tea and all that sort of stuff. And so anyways, a description of this sickness is given. When they leave the synagogue going to Simon's house, It no doubt it's for a meal. It's for fellowship. It's for rest. And they find this condition. This lady's in a condition that that was often found in their day. Malaria was common. There were a number of fevers. We know that a fever is um, is something that manifests there's an internal problem, right? It's not just that you have a fever. There's something on the inside. Uh, there's an injury. There's a sickness. There's something going on inwardly that causes a fever and then causes it to spike like this woman has. There's a description of the sickness that is given Secondly, that there's a disturbance in the home. We say that because of how the Bible says that Jesus rebuked the fever. He rebuked the fever. Verse number 39 says, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Verse number 35, we looked at this before we started this passage. In Verse number 35, and Jesus rebuked him, that is, rebuked an unclean spirit, in the man that was in the synagogue that he's just left. And, and of course, it's been an exciting morning in the synagogue. Jesus preached. Can you imagine hearing the Son of God preach? Uh, there's a devil spoke out that possessed the man. He, he, he controlled his thoughts. He controlled his behavior. That's what it means to be devil possessed, demon possessed, might be called today. And so he, he speaks out. There's a disturbance in the synagogue. And, um, and so Simon Peter's been a witness now to a devil being cast out of a man. I mean, he saw this up close and personal. It's been an exciting morning now. And a lot of times, whenever the Lord does a great work in our lives, it leaves us vulnerable, right? Sure, it does. It leaves us susceptible. It leaves us, as Jonathan was in the Old Testament, as he scaled that mountain and the enemy could see him on the side of the mountain. The higher you go up the mountain, I'll promise you, uh, the more the devil will focus on you and he'll measure you and he will Try you. It's interesting in the New Testament that it's Peter that would write, be sober, uh, be vigilant. In other words, uh, be aware of what's going on in your life. And so the fact that he's, the fact that he rebukes this, this fever is very, uh, very telling. It's very telling. Now let me do pause to say this. Just because Jesus rebukes this fever doesn't mean that because if someone's sick, that somehow they're demon possessed. As a matter of fact, I want to say this. If you look at Third John. I want to show you something. Uh, I want to say this. A lot of times when there's mental issues, mental health issues with people in our day, there are extremist Bible believers that believes that somehow that's a demon-imposed infirmity upon a person. You don't have a bit of Bible for that. You don't have one bit of Scripture for that. And when somebody is sick, you don't have any Scripture for you or anybody else other than the Lord rebuking that sickness. You have absolutely no scripture for that. And I'm going to tell you, you better be careful about it. As a matter of fact, let me call a couple of names. used to be in our Baptist ranks not that long ago. Greg Locke and D.R. Harrison are men that are making bukoos of money, boatloads of money. They were Baptists. Locke got famous during the Trump uh, election where a lot of people, a lot of us believe it was perhaps stolen or sabotaged. And he made some prophecies. He said they didn't come true, but his crowd kept growing. He's bold. He's outspoken. He used to be a good Baptist preacher. D.R. Harrison, same way. And those two men are about two things. They're about attention and they're about money. They're about a lot of attention and they are about a whole lot of money. And when the money runs out, they take their tent and they'll move over to another town. You be cautious of men like that. Listen to what a man says. Listen to what a man's unwilling to say. A lot of times a man will tell on himself, not by what he says, but what he will not go so far as say. He'll identify himself. And those two men are dangerous men across the southeast right now, even among Baptist ranks. They've got Baptist churches that are supporting. You say, preach, I wouldn't say that. I know that's why God called me to preach and didn't call you. Somebody needs to say that. Now, we call out Benny and the rest of that crowd. Those guys are dangerous. Boy, they're dangerous. They take the word of God and twist it. As long as the money keeps coming in, they're very stationary, and they'll stay where they are. One of them run off with his church secretary and left his wife behind, and he's tried to justify that. You can't justify that. I don't want to get to rambling. I rarely do anything like this. But you better mark those men. You better identify them for who they are. You better watch movements. Watch these men to get behind movements like that and churches that get behind it as well. I don't want to be a part of that. I'll say it again. I don't want to be a part of that. If I have to get out here by myself and preach to my wife, she needs preaching too. I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to be a part of that kind of stuff. That stuff's dangerous. It's corrupting minds of people, and folk won't read the Bible for themselves. Yeah. Some of you know know those two guys, and you've watched those two guys over the past few years. Matter of fact, anybody's elevated in themselves, you better watch that. Better watch that. Pride goeth before destruction. Pride goeth before a fall, a haughty spirit. You see a man with his head in the clouds. I may not know if he's headed east, west, north, or south, but I'll tell you one place he is headed, he's headed for a fall. That goes for me, and that goes for you, and it goes for anybody else. But you better watch that stuff. Better watch that stuff. John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress and a number of other titles, that he left behind. The Pilgrim's Progress is second in sales to the Bible only. The Bible is the is the greatest selling book in in human history. As far as among Christians, uh, the Pilgrim's Progress is second. Bunyan was used among preachers one morning in a morning service in a, we would call it a Bible conference. An older preacher come to him. There were men that were weeping and testified to needing that word that day. An older preacher come to him and said to him, said, Bunyan, said, God really used you this morning in the service among the ministers. To which he replied, I know the devil's already told me. And I'm going to tell you, what we need to do is as John the Baptist had the mentality, he must increase, but we must decrease. This church ain't about me. It isn't about you. This church is all about Christ and his honor. He is winning souls in the Philippines. The work is all about winning souls to Christ and being a testimony there in the Philippines. Where they are. Let me show you something. Not every sickness is of the devil. Not every mental sickness is of the devil. Some of you, I think,'s got some mental problems. Say amen right there. And, uh, and you know why I'm picking on you. Look at 3rd John. Look at 3rd John. This is not the only one. It's just the one that comes to mind right now. Look at 3rd John. John's gonna mention three people by name in the book of 3rd John. He'll mention Gaius. That's who I wanna look at. He'll mention Diotrephes. and we're not gonna t- take time to look at him. He's he's the bell cow. He's the one that runs the show. He runs people out from the congregation. You read about him. He's a dangerous character in that local church. And then there was uh, the atrophies. Then there's Demetrius. I don't want you to notice about Gaius. He's a man who is sick in body. He's a man who's sick in body. Watch this. In that third John, beginning in verse 1, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. Even as thy soul prospereth. Now, what if God answered that prayer for you and me today? I wonder if some of us would go home, leaving a wheelchair. Or some of us would have to have an ambulance to pick us up and take us to the hospital. If we were doing as well physically as we are spiritually, how telling would that be? Are you walking with the Lord? Do you have a prayer life? Do you put on a good face on Sunday, but Monday you're a different creature? Think about that. He said, I wish, verse number 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. He said, I know of your world you walk with the Lord, but he said, embody your feeble. That's what that means. Verse number 3, For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in truth. See that? But his health is lacking, according to verse number 2, but still he's walking in truth. Verse number 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Then he goes on and speaks well of him more. Verse number 5, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers which have borne witness of thy charity. In other words, your love before the church. There's testimony of you, Gaius, what you've done, how you've sacrificed for others and for the cause of Christ, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well because that for his name's sake they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles, we therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. You see the good works he's done? See how he's labored for the cause of Christ? And yet he still says, this is still in the Bible, verse 2, he he identifies the man he's writing to in verse number 1. He says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospered. I tell you, you've got to be careful about some of this stuff that we see out and about in these days. And I've said this recently: our church's not high maintenance. I don't, I don't say things very often like what I just said, and especially mention a name or two. But now those guys are outright dangerous, and they've got a following in Baptist ranks. And I don't want to be a part of it. And, and I want to warn you and caution you: don't you be a part of it. Don't you be a part of it at all. Now, let me say something here. The Bible says here that it tells us here of the description of the sickness it's given. It's a great fever. There's a disturbance in the home. Uh, The fact that Christ rebukes this fever and it leaves him. Let me just say just a brief word, if I may, about trials and the development that trials bring. You know as well as I there's very little development on the mountaintop. My friend, brother Brother Stacy Lane, was preaching out in the Taylorsville camp meeting. He's either three summers ago or four. And he preached on corn in the valley. He took one of the Psalms and he talked about the growth of corn, how that it was in the valley. And within his home, in just a little bit of time, you can get to Grandfather Mountain. And you get to a few other mountains and you can see them from where he lives. He said, if you go up on the top of Grandfather Mountain, there's nothing much up there. It's just bare and it's dry. But he said, if you'll go off the mountain on either side, take any highway you want to come off of Grandfather Mountain, he said, you'll find the farmers, their crops are growing down in those low places. And you know that it's in the low places of life that Christ develops faith. I wonder what was going on in Simon Peter's life. What's going on in Andrew's life? They've just come from the synagogue. Now here they are in the privacy of their own home. And here Jesus is doing a work, doing a work there in their own home. I wonder what John must have thought as he witnessed Jesus take this precious mother-in-law by the hand and lift her up, and immediately she stands up, and then she goes uh, to laboring in the home to be a blessing. As A.W. Tozer said so long ago, said, it's doubtful that God will ever use a man greatly until first he hurts him deeply. A lot of times we say, well, I wish God would use me. And a lot of times these guys we bring through here, some of these men we bring through here, him being one of them, you have no idea where they've been and how they've had the labor in order to get to the place that they can stand for the cause of Christ and share the gospel. A lot of times we have no sacrifice where a man has been. And sometimes when a man enters into trial, we wonder, what in the world is God doing? I'll promise you he's up to something. He's doing something. We may not understand it, but God has a plan for your life and he has a plan for my life. As a dear brother of yesteryear said, the love of our wise father is too great to deprive us of the sacred benefits of affliction. We don't want affliction, right? We don't want a trial. We don't want tough times, but it's in those places that God develops us. Another has written, the worst of eels are often the black horses upon which the very best blessings ride to us. And that's the truth, isn't it? It was a dear brother I pastored some years ago. He was used to being active, worked a, a day job. And he'd come home in the evening. He'd work as well and made money both ways and, and it's just a busy, just an active man like many of you. Uh, men here in the service today, but he had an accident which sidelined him for a few months. I stopped by; he's out at his shop one day, and I stopped by and went in. and This is what he said; I'll never forget it. This is what he said. He said, "Brother Kevin, I wouldn't want to go back through it, but I wouldn't take nothing for it." He said, "It's been amazing what I've learned and how God has spoken to my heart as I've read His Scripture and prayed and just been still." He said, "I rarely have an opportunity to be still." But he said, I've been still now these months in this time. And he said, I think God's done some of his greatest work since I've been saved. In these months when I was laid up with my surgery, when I was laid up in the hospital, when I was laid up out there at the house in my bed, and now about all I can do is get on the golf cart right out here at the shop or right around the loop, he said, it's about all I can do. He said, Brother Kevin, I wouldn't want to go through it again. But he said, I wouldn't take nothing for it. It's amazing how we can do that, isn't it? Did you know that being on the mountain by, uh, top all the time will spoil you? Do you know if you've got everything at your fingertips, it will spoil you? Sometimes the kids have stated through the years, our children, uh, about a particular need, and oftentimes I'd say, okay, and just walk on like I didn't hear them say anything. Sometimes the trial that they face is the best thing that could happen for them. And sometimes the trials that we face is the best thing that could happen. We hear a lot of talk, even in these days, number of the people at Troy Talk to me about the pandemic and what all it did and, and uh, about how it affected uh, uh, affected attendance. And, and, and here's what I've said. I've said this now for about four years, I guess. I, I think probably in that trial, the most unusual trial, there's some things that shook loose that did not belong. Are you listening to me? I know the devil was working, but God's working too. And God never has lost a battle. And he ain't about to start now. And so, nevertheless, here's two other verses I thought about before moving on in our text. I thought about 1 Timothy 3 verses 14 and 15, the key verses to the book of 1 Timothy. Here's what Paul, here's what Paul wrote over there. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, the pillar. P-I-L-L-A-R, not P-I-L-L-O-W, right? The pillar, the support of the truth. You know what God will do across your lifetime? You know what God will do if you'll be patient and you'll be still and you'll keep coming to Sunday school and you'll keep reading your Bible and you keep praying and you keep walking with God? You know what God will do? He'll give you, he'll make you a support system. in the tr- He'll make you a pillar. We have too many pillows. Are you listening to me? Full of stuffing and fluff, pillows. It, look, it, it is incumbent upon us that after all God has done for us, that we be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know what that means? That means just stay put, just stay put. Just keep your feet planted, keep them firmly planted. You won't become a theologian overnight, neither will I. I've been at it for over 30 years studying my Bible, meditating on my Bible um, constantly. You know, I'll go back through passages where I have preached before, and I'll think, now, I saw that, but I didn't see that. You understand what I'm saying? There's always fresh water from the well of God's Word. And so you stay with it, and God adds to you little by little and adds to your faith. A problem's developed in the home of Simon Peter. There's a disturbance here. Now, notice here. Notice here the Lord being present in the home of Simon Peter. Again, verses 38 and 39. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered, and ministered unto them. The Lord is present in the home of Simon Peter. Number one, he's a guest that is invited, and he should be invited. He should be invited into all of our homes. Jesus uh, is invited by Simon Peter into the home. Um, Peter places a premium on fellowship with the Lord. Commitment to Christ, even in the home. Uh, too many times people use the Lord as some type of a spare tire. You understand what I'm saying? Only when there's a flat on the side of the road. Only when there's, they find themselves in a bind or in a crunch or in a tight place. They want, they, 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 they want the Lord to come through. Want the Lord to do something for them. And mind you, when, when my family is sick and has a need, I want you to pray for me. But we don't want to use them just when we get our backs against the wall, right? Listen to what the Lord told Samuel in the Old Testament. And you young folk ought to listen to this part of a verse. You can build your home off a piece of a verse I'm fixing to read to you. You can build your life, child of God, off of this verse. Matter of fact, I've got a preacher I've looked up to for years. And uh, he has retired. He's in full-time evangelism now. He's in his 80s. Still preaching, still strong, taking care of a wife who has dementia and preaching somewhere about every week of his life all the way into his 80s. This was in his heart years ago. And this is what God said to Samuel, 1 Samuel 2 in verse number 30, them that honor me, I will honor. You got that? Them that honor me, I will honor. They that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Them that honor me, I will honor. You can build your life on that. If you're a young person listening to me. First Samuel chapter 2 verse 30, the end of that verse. You can build your life off that. You preachers can build your ministry off that. Them that honor me, I will honor. You Sunday school teachers can build your ministry of the Word of God to your class off that verse. You can build your testimony off that verse. Them that honor me, I will honor. You can build your home off of that one verse. Everybody's looking for a life verse. I think if you claim one, I, I think the I think my life verse is Genesis one one to the Amen at the end of Revelation, right? But there are some that mean mean so much to me. Psalm thirty seven five. You've heard me tell this before. I remember. I know right where I was. I can take you. Put my feet right in the tracks, right close to the tracks, at least where I was standing when I when I read Psalm thirty seven five, and it began to live in my life. I'm going to tell you a life verse, if there be such a thing, ought to be one that lives in your life. You ought to have a verse or two or three that you can readily quote when the devil comes at you or when the winds of adversity begin to blow in your life or against your family, if your family's attacked or or if you have needs in your life. I tell you what won't get the job done. Frustration won't help it. Worry over it and biting your fingernails, that's not going to help it. You can take a pill, but a pill ain't going to help it. You can even take vacation. And say, "Well, I just need some time away," and sometimes we do need to rest, and you got to get away to rest. But listen, if you've got a real problem, when you get back home, there's your problem waiting on your front doorstep. But I'm gonna tell you what will help you. The Word of God will help you. Most of us remember the Perhams, right, Brother Ernie and Miss Linda. We remember the Perhams and those ten uh, children. They had two natural born children. One of them was adopted. They felt like the 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 ideal situation for home would be a mom, a dad, a boy, and a girl. They had one naturally born child and adopted one. And then they took measures to not have any more children. And then Brother Ernie got saved. He trusted Christ and began to study his Bible. Miss Linda got saved. They wanted to be able to put back a good nest egg and about 55 retire and live a good life. And they were well on their way. He was a hospital administrator. She was an administrator among the nursing staff. They were making very good money. And then they began to study their Bible after they were saved, and God began to deal with them over special needs children, broke their hearts for special needs children. I mean, just broke their hearts, changed their plans. Sometimes God does that, doesn't he? I mean, he doesn't just slow your plans down. He'll just scratch them all together. And so Brother Ernie sat down one night after they ate supper and said, listen, Linda, said, I'm going to tell you something. said, God's dealing with my heart over these children that we've learned about, and and nobody wants them. They're, they're throwaway children. Nobody wants them. Y'all remember when Brother Sarah Pauli was here? Uh, the last time he was here, he'll be here in the fall again, be in the area. Of, he'll be out here to fellowship Paul, standing in the rooms. You remember him talking about he's among the group, uh, the social group in India. They're called the untouchables. I mean, there's an element in their society don't want them. And, but that's who he's going after. Now, I'm going to tell you, the Lord specializes in and the untouchables. He specializes in the undesirable. That's who he specializes in. Matter of fact, you don't find, this is not a teetotal statement, but you don't find him going after the wealthy and the popular and the influential. They don't want him. They reject him. It's those misfits. It's the untouchables. It's the undesirables. Uh, he's, that's who he's going after. He's going after those that just don't fit anywhere else. You remember when you were going to school or or maybe after school we used to divide up we'd get our chores done we'd meet in my front yard we'd meet in the McCords front yard uh, or we'd meet um, uh, we'd meet in one of the other front yards the the Dunns or the Grays or somebody's front yard and we'd choose and we'd play football and, and there's one one boy that rode school bus with us and he never got picked until like nobody ever picked him I mean he's just he's what was left and you had to take him if you was picking last I'm going to tell you, it's not that way with the Lord. He's made room for you at Calvary. I don't care if you don't fit and you never fit anywhere. You can fit right here. You can fit with the Lord. Uh, you can fit with him. He loves the undesirables. He loves the misfits. Uh, Jesus Christ is exalted among us because we know where he's brought us. We know where we were headed. We we know where we were when he saved us. To whom much is uh, To whom much has been forgiven, we love him much. That's why we don't snicker when the preacher's preaching. We don't talk on the cell phone, big boy, when the preacher's preaching. And I'm picking at you, and you know I'm picking at you. Ah, uh, me too. But, uh, but look, the, the, perhams, back on, back on that, the perhams, they had a son, they had a daughter. And both of them were progressing as normally as any little boy, or any little girl could. And they were proud of them, and they took time with them, and they took them to special classes, and in, enrolled them in activities in the community. They were very proud of their life. Money in the bank, nice automobiles, a very nice home. Then God began dealing with Brother Perham. He sat down after supper one night and said, Linda said, I'm going to tell you something. And she said, Ernie, you're not going to believe this. But I'm wrestling with the same thing. And they began to pray about it. And they adopted 10 special needs children. And y'all remember Josh? I guarantee if you knew him, Josh walked in here like this. He's born with spinal Bifida. bifida. His spinal cord was exposed. They weren't expecting him to live. And then after he lived for a span of time, they wanted to put him in a in a group home, make a guinea pig out of him. Don Sable had a daughter, Tabitha, that that died five, six years ago. And and Tabitha, they wanted Brother Don, Miss Sue, to sign Tabitha over to a clinic down in uh, just outside New Orleans, Louisiana. They wanted to make a guinea pig out of her. And Brother Don, Miss Sue, I've heard them tell it. Brother Don, Miss Sue, both spoke up. Said absolutely not. God gave her to us and we're going to love her. If she doesn't have a mind to know anything, we're still going to love her. She's ours. God gave her to us. We're not ashamed of her. We're going to love her. And they loved her. You call, talk to Brother Sable, and a lot of times tap to answer the phone. And you'd say something, Well, girl, you better get that preacher. I'm going to whoop you. She'd drop the phone and say, Daddy, sweet as she could be you go down around Union, Mississippi tomorrow and Brother Don's got time, he'll take you by the cemetery and point at the headstone. He'll take you out there. And he'll say, that's where my buddy, that's where body's at. Heaven's a little sweeter to he and Miss Sue these days. Brother Perham, he's with the Lord. Y'all remember he's called home from right here in the area one Sunday evening. Miss Linda's still up in the state of Kentucky. She's still got a handful of them. Most of those children have gone on and lived what you might consider to be a semi-productive life. But when they got them, they couldn't talk. A lot of them couldn't hold their head anywhere but up or down. She would feed them. It was food everywhere. You know what she started doing? She started with the book of James. And she had set them. And them drooling and everything else. Some of them could walk. Some of them couldn't. Some of them had to have a diaper changed because they couldn't do it themselves. She would read over and over and over and over and over and over relentlessly over and over and over. After a couple of three years of that, they got to bringing them in our churches I appreciate how Brother Perham would handle that. He'd remind all of us it's not a freak show. It's not a sideshow. show. We just want to show you what the healing effects of the Word of God can do in a life. Oh, Josh is a preacher to this day. He may not preach over seven, eight minutes. He's still walking in the same posture he's walking in last time you saw him about eight, nine years ago. Some of them have got married, have spouses that love them and help them. It's amazing what the Word of God can do. Absolutely amazing what the Word of God can do. Here I am in the same message at the same place, and I'm not going any farther. Perhaps today in the home, Christ needs to reign supreme in your home, in your life. In your life, Christ needs to reign supreme. Christ is a guest who is invited to the home of Simon Peter. Christ is invited into the home. Not only is he invited, but he's, he's called upon for the need of this mother-in-law. She's perhaps at the point of death. So she's called upon. He's called upon. He's going to come to her bedside. You come to her bedside. I've wrestled the past few years with this business of prayer. I pray, just in case you wonder what that meant. But how our all knowing, omniscient God, how he knows. He knows of our need, and yet he tells us to bring it to him. I've wrestled with somebody, really hadn't struggled with it. But knowing that he knows, why do we bring, why do we bring our needs to the Lord? Number one, it expresses faith in him. Faith is not wishful thinking. Some would contend that faith is putting enough stamps on the envelope and you're guaranteed an answer. Sometimes, and we've been told this, God either says yes, no, or wait. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to blow some of your theology out of the water. Sometimes he ain't said nothing to me. It's not a lack of faith. Faith don't have anything to do with it. Sometimes he just don't say anything. Sometimes he does say no, and sometimes he does say yes. He knows what's best for his youngins. Paul prayed thrice. God said no. Paul said, I prayed one time, asking him to remove. He said no. He said, so I asked him again, I prayed twice. He said, no. He said, I prayed thrice. He said, no. He said, so I quit doing the talking and started listening. And God said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee." The trial actually was a gift. It was a gift that was given to him. When we bring our needs to him, it exercises faith in our Lord. I don't know. I just, I, I can't, I can't move beyond this. I, I can't get any farther. I'm just looking at how much I've got left. you welcome to look at it after the service. It's amazing what God can do as we seek Him. As we seek Him. I thinking about early this morning. I thinking about the testimony of George Mueller. His preacher graduated seminary recently and, and we made a connection through social media. And, I have bought a number of books I probably should not have bought recently. He had a need. I'd like to have the books. And so we sent the money and he sent the books. I was thinking about his need and, and it's a real need. I thought about George Mueller of Bristol. Had an orphanage. It's believed perhaps as much as $8 million in his day. Passed through his hands when he died, he wasn't worth over a $1,000. He didn't have $1,000. He didn't keep anything for himself. You know how needs were met in George Mueller's life and the life of up to as many as 2,000 orphaned children that he would feed and clothe, he and others would preach to daily. You know, I meet those days. He never asked a man for a dime. Never. That's one of the testimonies of George Mueller. If you ever read his biography, no matter which one of them you read that has been written, he never asked. Never told a man his need. Sometimes they put the orphans to bed at night knowing there was nothing, or at least they were way short for breakfast the next morning. Mueller would fast and pray through the night. Dairy farmers would bring their wagons and Their containers of milk asked for their containers back at the end of the day. Chicken farmers um, would bring their eggs, and they'd feed all those kids. George Mueller died well into his 90s. He took every need he had to the Lord in prayer. and God did not say anything to him. God sent something for him. Here they seek Jesus on behalf of the need of this mother-in-law. And he heals her. We'll touch on that next Sunday. Probably move to another text, but we'll touch on that next Sunday. Would you stand?